How many of you have had a chance this past week to get into the Gospel of Matthew? Read it. Yeah, awesome. Almost every hand is up. So important. Remember what I talked about last week, what we're diving into with Mission 27 and, and going through the entire New Testament this year together as a body of Christ. For it to be effective, you have to read it. You have to read it. What, what I'm going to be doing here on Sunday mornings is just a jump start every single week. It's just to kind of get the juices flowing. It's just kind of shake it up a bit to get us to get a focus on what we're about to dive into, and that is us, each one of us, getting in the Word of God, getting in the Word of God. You know, God's Word doesn't return void. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, get a little Pentecostal here today. All right. God's Word doesn't return void. It actually brings life. How many of you can testify to that? When you're in the Word of God, you find yourself, your life getting stronger, built up, maybe corrected in some areas. That's a good thing. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, you just read it this past week. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of of God. That's what the Bible is. It's the Word of God coming straight from the mouth of God, and it's what we need to actually really live. If you're not in this, you're not really living. The world says, hey, let me show you what it looks like, what it feels like to really live. Uh uh. This is what it looks like and it feels like to really live. Be in the Word of God. So, I do some CrossFit. I'll be honest with you, I haven't done it in a little while. I've been taking a little bit of a break, and you're like, I can tell, but anyway. Um, I do some CrossFit, and in CrossFit, the, the unique thing about CrossFit is we have a trainer. And our trainer at, at our CrossFit gym, his name is Mike. And why is he there? Why do we have a trainer? Why not just show up and, and kind of do our own thing and lift our own weights? After all, when I get there, Mike's not lifting the weights for me. Mike's not doing the bench presses for me. Mike's not doing the squats. He's not doing the burpees. How many of you know what a burpee is? I don't know. I think that's from hell. I really do. I hate burpees. They're one of the worst, especially for a tall guy like me. He, Mike doesn't do any of those things for me. He doesn't do the rowing for me. He doesn't do the pull-ups. He doesn't do the push-ups. Why is Mike at the gym? Because he's a trainer. And he's there to create a space for us to actually show up and do what we need to do to get physically fit. He doesn't do the work for us, but he's there to encourage us. He's there to guide us. He's there to keep us accountable because Mike's watching. If I'm cheating on the squad and I'm not going all the way down, Mike's going to, you know, what's going on, you know, pastor, what are you doing here, right? No. So we have a trainer at CrossFit. And as a pastor, you know what? There's a lot of times I feel like a trainer. I feel like in a lot of ways that's my role. I'm like a spiritual trainer. I don't do the lifting for you. Some of you might go to church and think, I love it, man. We got a pastor who does this for us. This, Dude, I don't do the lifting for you. But I'm here to encourage you, to challenge you, to create a space to maybe give you some workout recommendations so that then you can do the lifting. 
you can pick this up and you can lift this up and you can open this up and you can get the spiritual exercise, whether it's in the Word or, or as Deborah was sharing, you know, on your knees in, in the place of prayer, sitting before the Lord, listening, serving others, all the different things. I'm just a spiritual trainer. In, in a lot of ways, what we're diving into here in Mission 27, which is our one-year survey of the New Testament. We're going to go through the New Testament. I'm really just here as a trainer, creating a space, encouraging you, challenging you, and just giving you enough direction for then you to go lift the weights, for you to do the work in God's Word and watch yourself get spiritually stronger. Not because of anything I've done or said, but because of what God is going to do in each one of you. So now, if you read the, the Gospel of Matthew, and almost every hand went up, that's very encouraging, by the way. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, you came face to face with the Jewish Messiah. The fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, all the types, all the shadows, all the promises, the Gospel of Matthew reminds us, very clearly points out from the very beginning Remember the first fulfill, the first word fulfill, chapter 1, verse 22, reminding us right off the bat that Jesus is that promised Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all that's been spoken of throughout human history, throughout all that Old Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. The Gospel of Matthew reminds us that it all points to Jesus. Man, I loved it this morning in worship. Thank you, Pastor Tim and team. I mean, we just were singing the name of Jesus, singing the name of Jesus. It was all about Jesus. And that's what the Gospel of Matthew reminds us, that this is all about Jesus. How many of you underlined and found or circled 16 uh, instances of the word fulfill? How many of you found actually found 16 of them? Somebody found 17. You know, that's that, that's that kind of extra Bible or whatever. Or you just extra credit. Um, but no, there are other words like accomplished and things like that that, that can be looked at as fulfilled and, and so on and so forth. So if you didn't find them the next time this week when you read through the Gospel of Matthew, be looking for them again. Amen. Out of the mouths of babes. Amen. Praise God. Come on now. If the children can do it in a minute, what's up with y'all, man? Can I get an amen? All right, amen. So one thing we looked at last week, and one thing I hope that you really connected with, is that very thing, that the Old Testament and the New Testament are not disconnected from one another. It's the same message. It's his story, history. And remember, I, I came up just on the fly last week of that. Whole, I, I got a whole new movement of renaming the Old Testament to the promises and renaming the New Testament to the fulfillment, the promises and the fulfillment. Because what we kind of fall into is we think the Old Testament is old, and we don't want the old, we want the new, and that's natural, right? But the old isn't old in the sense of spiritually or in the sense of what God has to say to us. It's not old. It's just the promises of God. Setting us all up so when the fulfillment Jesus came, we could go, whoa, we could have that aha moment. That aha moment. So today, 
Last week we talked about how, how the Gospel of Matthew, written by a Jew, was written to the Jews in order to convince them and remind them and show them that Jesus is that promised Messiah. But today we're going to find out that the Gospel of Matthew isn't just for Jewish believers, but it's for all believers. The Gospel of Matthew is for all believers, and I say for believers on purpose. The Gospel of Matthew is for all believers. Why do I say believers? Because there are two Gospels that are written for believers. The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John were both written to the church or to believers. The Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke were written really for unbelievers. In fact, when you look at the Gospel of Luke, that's where you're going to find that grace-filled love story of the prodigal son. That's a beautiful story. Drawing unbelievers to the goodness, the love, the grace of God. That's where you find the good Samaritan is in the gospel of Luke. But Matthew, Matthew is a gospel that was written for disciples of Jesus. And that brings us to point number one. Matthew was written as a manual for discipleship. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew is a manual for discipleship. You got a manual for your car. I just use YouTube now, by the way. But anyway, you, you still get a manual with your car on, on how to take care of it and, and, and how, to be a, how to operate it and all that kind of stuff. The Gospel of Matthew is a manual for discipleship. And how many of you realize this, that often when we read a letter or read a book or something, we find out really the meaning or the main theme of it at the very end? You know, you read the whole thing, and it's interesting, and it's kind of drawing you in. But then at the end, that's when you get, like, really connected with the whole purpose and meaning, and that's when you can have that aha moment. I was thinking about this this morning. Maybe this has happened to you if you have kids. But you have, you have, you have a, uh, maybe a teenage, maybe 16, 17-year-old kid who comes to you, one of your children who comes to you, and they start talking. Oh, I just want to talk. I just want to spend some time chatting. And, and they're chatting with you, and they're telling you about their life and how their day is going. And, oh, I'm getting good grades, and school's going great. And, you know, I've been really good with my chores lately, and I just find so much joy in doing my chores, you know, and you're just having this conversation with your kids. And then all of a sudden at the end, it kind of wraps up with, and by the way, can I use the car this weekend? <laughs> and you realize the purpose or the meaning of the whole discussion at the very end, and you go, aha, that's why we're having this talk, right? And, and this is what happens in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, the purpose is found at the end. And here it is in Matthew 28, beginning of verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. How many of you are so grateful that Jesus has all authority? Amen. Amen. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself of that. Jesus, my Savior, the one who holds my life in his hands, he's got all authority. All authority. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, what's the therefore? Brad talked about that, you know, a couple weeks ago. The therefore is there for a reason, right? Therefore, since all authority has been given to me, go and make disciples. Oh, the aha moment. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Oh, 
So the purpose is everything that Jesus just taught us in this, those five different sermons that we're going to take a peek at here near the end of this short message, short message this morning, that, that we're going to look at, oh, the purpose is, is teach others, this is who I am, and this is how we live as disciples, as followers of me. Oh, okay, I get it, all right. So Matthew is a manual for discipleship. It's great for new converts. If you've got somebody that you've just led to the Lord, or you, you find yourself talking with a new believer, I'm going to tell you when you feel that urge, and I pray that you do feel the urge to come alongside of a new believer and disciple them and encourage them to be like a spiritual trainer in them, to grab, grab hold of their hand and lift them up and to, to, to run this race with you. If you're going to do that, might I suggest that you use the Gospel of Matthew as a discipleship tool. Maybe even start there with them. That's what Matthew wrote this for. To disciple this young church in Christ Jesus. Teaching them to live the Jesus way. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, then I, I recommend that you go to the Gospel of Matthew frequently. To those five sermons of Jesus frequently. To remind yourself, oh, this is what it looks like. To live the Jesus way. This is what it looks like. So Matthew is also great for new believers because it's a great introduction to the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. You know, Matthew is the only gospel that uses that phrase, kingdom of heaven. The other gospels use the, the phrase kingdom of God. Now, there are some who get into all this minutiae and and, 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 and try to, to create all kinds of reasons why Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven, that phrase, instead of kingdom of God, and that somehow it's different and all of that. But, but, but here's the deal. Let's just keep it simple here. And let's keep it on track with main orthodoxy and what, what most theologians uh, agree with. And that is that it's not a different view. It's not a different meaning. It's not a different context when Matthew uses kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. Rather, it's simply being sensitive to his Jewish audience who struggled with using the word, saying the word, or writing the word God. In fact, when you look at certain types of Jewish uh, Hebraic writing and those things, they, it won't use God. It will use maybe a capital G and then a dash and then a D, but won't actually spell it out or even say it out loud. And so Matthew chooses in that sensitivity using something called paraphrasis to avoid using the sacred name of God in order to connect with his Jewish audience, just to make it easier on him. So at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus announces, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he says, the kingdom of heaven has come. He said that in Matthew 4, 17. Jesus shows up, God steps down from heaven, puts on flesh, and he makes this amazing statement, the kingdom of heaven has come. It's come. So you're like, man, when is heaven going to come to earth? It's come. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And he's, he's not talking when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus isn't talking about, hey, angels playing harps, floating on clouds has come down and 
And, and no, that's not what he's talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven coming. Jesus is clear that the kingdom of heaven re- refers to God's rule on earth. The kingdom of heaven has come near. God's rule on earth has come. But this is something that's probably really appropriate that we talk about this now with all the conversation and arguments and everything going on in the world and in the church today. God's present kingdom is not a government rule. And Jesus showed us that. Because he said his kingdom has come near. It's come. But he didn't establish a government rule when he came. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven, it's not about a government rule. Rather, it's the reign of God's righteousness, peace, and joy. I like righteousness, peace, and joy a lot more than government, although government has its role and God uses it. Just pray that it's submitted to him. Paul defines, defines it this way in Romans 14, beginning verse 17. Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of what? But of righteousness. The kingdom of God is a matter of what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's enticing, isn't it? That's exciting. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way, righteousness, peace, and joy, in the Holy Spirit, in this way, is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Jesus does a good job of laying out the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the Beatitudes, and really shows us that it's an upside-down, totally different perspective than what we would ever expect a kingdom to be. Let's talk about the kingdom of God a little bit. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Number one, the kingdom of God means the reign of God, not the realm of God. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the reign of God, not the realm of God. We tend to think of a kingdom as a place. You know, the Great Britain or something, the kingdom of you know, England or whatever it might be. It's like a place. It's like, it's like a property or a place that... That, that where, where a king rules. But for Jesus, it's almost never about that meaning, about a realm or a place. Rather, it means the reign or the rule of God. So when Jesus stepped onto this earth, it wasn't that the realm of God came, it's that the reign and the rule of God showed up on earth. God's reign and rule showed up on earth. But here's the rub. In those days, when God's reign and rule showed up, when Christ showed up and walked on this earth, there was a clear expectation that the coming of the kingdom of God would be something different, that it would be more militaristic in nature, that it would be more rule in nature in the sense of like with an iron scepter, like with an army like turning over the evil Roman government. So there was this mismatch between expectations of what the kingdom of God would be and what actually showed up 
when Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, the kingdom of God is near. Here it is. A big mismatch. Expectations of the people and what God really rolled out. And I want to say, have you ever run into that with the Lord? Where you have expectations of, of what's supposed to happen or how God is going to move or what he's going to say and, and how it's going to be? And it doesn't meet your expectations? And so you just write it off as, well, that's not God. Oh, really, smarty pants? Really? Or, or, or that's not what I want it to be, so you, you just ignore it. You reject it. I'm going to go and say a lot of times, I almost want to say most times, but I'll just say a lot of times, God's answers don't match our expectations. How does that affect you? How does that affect your view of God and your interaction with the Lord? I appreciated Deborah, you were up here and you were just sharing what you've been going through 12 years with this, with this vocal issue. I'm sure expectations as a, as a woman of prayer was I'm praying in faith and believing and, and hands being laid on me. I've been anointed with oil and my expectations are that I'm going to be healed tomorrow or today of that. We can't interact with God. We can't, we can't judge God based on our expectations. We interact with God on His terms, on His terms. So Jesus used a lot of parables in the Gospel of Matthew. And as you read the Gospel of Matthew, what you're going to find is a surprising and a superior kingdom to what any ruler or any army could ever create on this earth. I think we need to remember that today as we're looking at the political climate of our world today. I know it's tempting to put a lot of hope in a candidate or a party or a move or this or that. But they're never going to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. Man will never bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that, that, that Matthew, that Jesus is preaching here is not a, a kingdom of Christian nationalism. It's way bigger than that. It's way superior to that. Can we all grab hold of that? And still vote and see the importance of that? And still pray for our leaders? And still want things to change in Washington and at the Capitol in Arizona and still desire. We can still desire those things. We can still call out evil. We can still be mouthpieces for righteousness. We can still be engaged. But we understand that the kingdom of heaven comes from one place. And that is the reign and rule of Jesus on this earth. And it will do what only God can do. Can we live in that both end? Can we live in that tension? We have to. And as we mature, we find ourselves able to. 
In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus presents a limitless treasure, the kingdom of heaven being a limitless treasure that would outlast the powers of darkness. That's what we need. We don't need somebody in, in office for four years, then leaves and everything flips on us. I'm praying that doesn't happen here in Arizona. Matthew 13, 43 talks about the kingdom of heaven having a righteousness that will shine like the sun. That's the kingdom of heaven. Number two, kingdom of God also refers to God's saving reign. So it refers to His rule, but specifically, the kingdom of heaven is talking about God's saving reign, His redemptive reign. Remember, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not to overthrow the Roman government. He came to seek and save the lost. The kingdom is a saving reign. It has eternity in its, in its sight. Not just politics. So number one, God's reign, not, not realm. Number two, the kingdom is His saving, redeeming reign where His name is honored and where people are joyfully doing His will, not, not compelled by some government, but because their hearts have been changed, they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They're new creations in Christ Jesus. That's the kingdom of heaven coming alive. And number three, the kingdom of God is fulfilled partially in the present. It's already happened. It is happening. And the kingdom of heaven will be consummated, it will be completed at the end of the age when Christ comes again. So it's the already, it's the right now, and it's coming. It will happen. So Paul speaks of unbelievers not inheriting the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. So he treats the kingdom of God as a not yet future. Like it hasn't happened yet. But then Paul says to believers that he's, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us, transferred us, past tense, already happened into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we see from the very beginning with Jesus and then in the teachings of Paul, who is reiterating these truths, these gospel truths, that, that the kingdom of God has come, but it is also still yet to come. It is still coming. There's this now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God. There's the aspects of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that we get to walk in, experience today, right here, right now. But there are aspects and things about the kingdom of heaven that will only happen when Jesus comes and puts his feet right back on this earth. And there's a tension in that. There's a tension in that. That's why we need to mature in Christ and in the Lord and in our understanding of what God's plans are and where we are right now in those plans. Read the Gospel of Matthew. So much of this will come alive as we process through this mission 27 of reading through the New Testament together purposefully. One thing about the coming of the kingdom, 
If you go to, so Jesus talks about the kingdom has come near early on in Matthew 4. Jump over to Matthew 24. When you get to Matthew 24, I'm going to tell you what, that is the clearest, most concise, easiest to understand picture of what it's going to look like and how it's all going to go down when the kingdom of God returns, when Jesus comes back. There's a lot of talk about end times out there, a lot of debate about end times. I just, I taught on it last year, starting with and focused on what Jesus says about his return right here in Matthew 24. So if you're interested in end times, you're going to love the gospel of Matthew because I believe it's the most clear, it's the starting point of all end times understanding that there is in the Bible. Matthew chapter 24. So, the kingdom of heaven, it's a primary theme of the gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is what unites the Jew and the Gentile believers together. To the Jew, we understand that the kingdom is still future. It's now for us, but it's still future for the Jew. They're still waiting. They miss Jesus. They're looking for their Messiah to come and occupy an earthly throne still. To the Christian, the Messiah has already come, and he's coming again. So the kingdom of heaven has already come with Jesus. But the evil age is still here with us right now, so we live in the overlap of those two ages. That can be the frustrating aspect of it, but that's where faith comes in. That's where understanding is so important. The third thing I want us to look at as we're diving into the Gospel of Matthew is this. The church is born. It's another big theme and important aspect that we grab from Matthew in his Gospel. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the only Gospel that actually mentions church, that uses the word church. It's the gospel of Matthew. And remember, Matthew was written for the believer, for the Jesus followers. And it was after the confession of Peter identifying who Jesus is. Y'all remember that, right? In, in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I know who you are, Jesus. This is who you are, the Son of God. And Jesus says, yes, now I can build my church. It's a reminder, Jesus only builds his church with people who know who he is. That's how he builds his church. The other thing I love about this in Matthew is you read about the church and, and, and how Jesus builds his church. It's a reminder that kings and prophets and apostles and pastors don't build the church. They don't. Jesus himself builds the church. And that is really good news. Can I get an amen on that? Jesus himself builds his church. And because Jesus is building his church, it will stand. The church will succeed because Jesus is building his church. Not a bunch of men, but Jesus. And because Jesus is building his church, now listen to me, because Jesus is building his church, we should be very careful to not tear it down. You want to be in oppos opposition of Jesus, you start tearing down the church, the body of Christ. You start throwing mud at the bride of Jesus. You start having a critical spirit against the church. 
You're in op- if you're tearing down the church, you're in opposition to Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about correction where correction is needed. There are places where correction is needed. And there are men and women who are in the church that are flawed and need correction. I'm not talking about that. There are pastors that need to slap upside the head every once in a while. Don't do that to me. And if you do, don't let me see it coming. It's just, it's just anyway. But I'm just saying, but the church... Jesus is building his church. He is preparing his bride. Don't be in opposition to that. Not a good place to be. Number four, last point, is this. I just want to run through just the, 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 the focus of the five different sermons that Jesus preached. And I'm going to put these up on the screen so that you can see these, and you can go out to the notes on version. So out on version, you look for the under events, Evident Life Church. We're going to put a link. Pastor Tim, let's get a link out on the website too, uh, just so that there's links to all these notes so that you can get to them throughout the week because there's also your discussion questions and your own personal questions to process that are all part of those notes. Um, and so you can go back and look at these. And when you're going through and reading through the Gospel of Matthew again this week, check out these five sermons. And the purpose of these five sermons that Jesus preached that are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. The first one is, is the lifestyle of the kingdom. And that's the Sermon on the Mount. The first, the first sermon that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew from Jesus. Where he talks about this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be a member of the kingdom of heaven. And it's different than what this world portrays. The second sermon that Jesus preached is, is all about the mission of the kingdom. The mission of the kingdom. So you have the lifestyle of the kingdom and then the mission of the kingdom. That's in chapter 10. How should we go out? That's where Jesus sends out his disciples. How do we go out? What's our role? What's the mission that we are to be on as those who are living in the kingdom of heaven now, being taken out of the kingdom of darkness? What does that look like? How do we do this? Matthew chapter 10. Jump over to Matthew chapter 13 and 14, and you're going to discover the messiness of the kingdom. How many of you ever uh, run into that, the messiness of the kingdom? It, it can be messy. If you're going to live kingdom of heaven now, kingdom of God now, it's going to feel messy because, again, we're in that conflict with the kingdom of darkness, that overlap, if you will. In other words, it won't be easy. To be a kingdom person in a dark and hurting world. But don't worry. God's with you. And don't worry. The kingdom is going to grow and grow and grow. The church is going to grow and grow and grow. The fourth sermon is about the community of the kingdom. It's found in chapters 18 and 20. The community of the kingdom. How to deal with church life. How many of you need some help with that? Everybody raise your hand, right? Look around and say, y'all need that. You need that. We all need that. So community, the community of the kingdom is found in those three chapters, 18, 19, and 20. And then, finally, the fifth sermon that he preaches is about the future of the kingdom. And that's what I just talked about in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. In 24, where he talks about his second coming and when he's coming back, what the future is of the kingdom of heaven, the future of the kingdom of God. Exciting, exciting 
stuff, the signs of his clear return. So, here's my conclusion, and here's the challenge. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Read it. And I'm so encouraged that almost every hand in the room went up. Because if you're in God's Word, then God is working in your life. Read the Gospel of Matthew this week. It's two and a half hour read. That's it. Turn off the Netflix. Turn off whatever you got to turn off. Turn off social media. Turn off what you got to turn off. Two and a half hours. Read through the Gospel of Matthew. Walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. Walk through the towns and the villages around the Sea of Galilee with Jesus as he's preaching these five sermons. See the miracles. Remember, he ministered in word. He preached these five messages, but also in deed. He did the kingdom. He showed the kingdom. Walk with him through that. Look at what it, listen to what it sounds like and watch what it looks like to be a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God person. Be a disciple of Jesus and learn this stuff. Get excited about this stuff. Adopt this. Make it part of your life and who you are and go out and do likewise. Listen to the teachings of Jesus as he explains the kingdom and then do this. This is the other thing, the final thing. Evaluate your life against the standards that Jesus holds so high. And ask yourself the question, does my life show that I'm part of his kingdom? We got to examine our lives, beloved. Jesus lays it out right there, five sermons, here's the kingdom. Does that look like my life? Is that how I think? Is that how I treat others? Is that how I walk? Is that how I live? It's not to bring condemnation. It's to bring some correction, and we all need it. Can I get an amen? amen? We all need some correction. But it's really to bring life, to bring us life and that to the full. So with that, let's stand up.